Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to our podcast, Life After the Letters. I'm Amelie. And I'm Suba. We're friends that met whilst working our first shifts as junior doctors. And we're here to talk about the stories and challenges that we face every day. Hey, Amelie. Hey, Suba. What it do? <laughs> I literally see this girl too much. We've, yeah. This For is... the past two years since I've known her, I've seen her pretty much <laughs> probably most days of the year. Yeah, actually, because also we did like a job together, basically our surgical job together. Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah. And then we, we went to the, the next. We had the best jobs on that surgical placement. Yeah, Do you was, remember? It was so great. Suba was on breast surgery and I was right. on vascular surgery. We basically between us had like a sum of about. 20 patients? I, mean, I was going to say Wait. 10. Yeah. <laughs> Who are you kidding? Yeah. I usually had about two patients a day and you had about five. So. Yeah. And I reckon we were probably the most annoying people in the hospital at, Everyone at that us. time because we would be like, okay, guys, um, how can we help you yeah, with yeah, your yeah. patients? <laughs> Should we do that job for you? And literally after we've done pretty much every job you could imagine under the sun for our <laughs> yeah. patients, updated the list, like tidied everything. Like, do you know what I mean? Made tea and coffee for the patients. <laughs> like, <laughs> our patients loved us though. Yeah, that's what happens when you've got enough time. <laughs> yeah, when you've got like nothing else exactly. to do. Exactly. And unlimited resources, it feels like when you've got no patience. So that was great. Yeah, good times. But today on the topic of patience, we're talking about internet, the age of the internet in patients' hands, yeah. which has really changed like the way in which patients approach medicine, health issues, and how they come to you as, as their doctor as well. It's yeah, totally, changed. because things have changed for us compared to our seniors. So mm. our seniors weren't around in the age of the internet because actually when we were growing up, maybe when we were in primary school, that's when we were searching internet more than our parents were. And Remember like the modems and the like... <laughs> da, da. Mate, can you remember waiting to use the phone before... Oh my God, I remember Someone else my, could go on the internet. When my mum would answer the phone whilst I was like playing, you know, those bubblegum games. And I would be like, mum, I was on level no, 10. Do you know what the stress was? Trying to download those like illegal tracks. LimeWire. <laughs> it's actually so bad. It's so bad. Can I get us done? I hope not. <laughs> but I remember you'd be downloading a track and you're like, okay, I've been waiting 15 minutes to download a three minute track. And then 99.5%. Oh, mum's calling someone from Nigeria. <laughs> also shouting at the same time. And I'm like, mum, they can hear you exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. No, but I feel like, is your parent ethnic if they don't hold <laughs> hold the phone right up to their ear and still scream down the phone? Yeah. <laughs> it's not how it works, mum. Not, not at works. all. Not at all. But um, this is like the week of ARCP for most people. So I thought yeah. we have to touch on it. No, so for those of you who don't know, or most of people probably do know. You know, <laughs> you know. But ARCP is a time when you're coming towards the end of your foundation years. Yeah. Actually for every single year. Yeah. And you have to 
accumulate all the information from the mm-hmm. past year and get people to sign you off on clinical skills that you've done and um, good patient interactions or negative patient interactions reflections and um, just so you can get signed off for the year and then progress into your ne- next year of being a doctor yeah basically so, a portfolio of your evidence yeah that shows that you're competent to progress <laughs> i don't actually know what the letters arcp stand for do you ah i don't i haven't i feel like p stands for progress and r stands for recommendation but I'm not sure whether I just pulled out of Finami. But actually, it's terrible because this is what we do every year. Yeah, this is literally like the focus of our year and (laughs) we haven't got a clue. But anyways, I'm so relieved to have like wrapped every little bit up. You know, all the little annoying... you? Okay. Have you not? (laughs) Super, you know me by now. Yeah, yeah, I do. Amelie is a last minute gal. I'm so last minute, but I'm also... This is what's weird. I'm like organised at the same time of being super ditzy, klutzy. Clutch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a weird Clumsy. juxtaposition. This chick has like 20 notebooks for like writing down all her 20 agendas. <laughs> but then she doesn't know where she's written her like agendas. <laughs> or what time I have meetings for or yeah. dates. It's actually terrible. It actually also made me resit a year of med school. But that is that's another, a great story. Another story. <laughs> and that was my shookest moment as a I'm medical not, student. I'm not surprised, mate. Oh, that would have been my shookest moment. Should I just say it? Yeah, go on, tell us. So basically... I when had... you told me the story, I remember I was literally like... <laughs> like, so my heart was just like so sad for you. <laughs> I felt so, like I was there experiencing it with you. Anyways, tell us. So basically, in my second year of med school, I had to reset an exam. And I also had to reset the exam because I was so cocky because like through GCSE, A-level, first year of med school, I didn't like really revise and I also used to pass quite well. Those were good days. Those were good days. Anywho, turns out you do need knowledge for being a doctor. (laughs) So um, I went to my exam, reset, had a look at the times and I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to go chill in the library because I've got about five hours to the exam um, until the exam starts. And that was um, during the summertime because that's when you'd have to reset. Rock up to the exam and then I see everyone sitting there and I'm like, okay, cool. Those must be the people for the first semester exam. And then I'm like looking around and I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) why do I know all these people in the room? And then I'm standing outside and then one of the examiners comes out and is like, excuse me, there is an exam taking place. Can you leave? And then I was like, (laughs) oh, I was like, oh, oh." and then lo and behold, that's my exam in there. My exam is literally taking place. And it turns out that I read the times of the exam wrong. I still think it's their fault for writing it in the format in which they wrote it. There was some dashes, hyphens, a weird spacing. No, it sounds confusing. It was actually very confusing. And my um, supervisors understood at the time why I'd mistaken the exam. But right then in that moment, I was like, look, I've revised so hard. I can do this exam in half an hour. And he was like, no, it's a three hour exam. I was like, you don't understand how hard I've revised. Like, let me, give let me, me in the paper. And I was like, you don't understand my parents. My doctor dad is going to kill me. Kill me. So um yeah, actually weirdly my parents took it fine because they know who I am and they know that like my mind works so bizarrely. So yeah, long story short, I had to reset the I had to come back the next year. To do the whole year again. No, I had no, I had to do the semester for the exam. So I took a year out. Well, took half a year out, worked in Apple, which was like the most yeah. fun time of my life yeah. and it was so dope working for like a nice company yeah and a creative like company yeah exactly and I met really cool people so I was working in the Covent Garden store for about six months nice. and then I was like yeah back to med school for that thing that happened last summer <laughs> but back to ARCP so yeah. 
ARCP will be finished next week, hopefully, and get signed yeah. off. And once that's done, it's like, it feels kind of like, you know, when you finish your exams, but then you go back to school for like a few weeks <laughs> and you, you just kind of watch movies and stuff. Not that that's what we're going to be doing at work. <laughs> I wish <laughs> they set up a projector in recess and we can just <laughs> lay on some sofas. Um, but no, it's going to be like being back at work, but actually you signed off, you're good to go. And it's just kind of like. It's quite well, nice. It's quite an exciting yeah, chapter, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And everyone's, and because we're coming up to the end of F2, it's like all of our friends and colleagues are going off and doing such different things. Such different things. Which is so exciting. You it got, is, it we've is. Got, we've got friends and colleagues that are going on, like that are actually taking breaks from medicine and going into other fields. We've got yeah, friends. some people are leaving full stop. But. Yeah. <laughs> and we've got people that are going Shout abroad. out Pete. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I'm literally seeing Pete's face in my mind <laughs> yeah. as I say that. I'm seeing his face like with lots of money just like dropping down on him from like <laughs> yeah. the, the financial district. Okay, now I was imagining him in like a, like a rap music video <laughs> with like fur coats and like big old what, chains. Pete's working. <laughs> no it's funny but um Pete's so gonna be Super's listening to this some really exciting news about where she's going next year yeah I don't I can't believe I've not mentioned this yet but I'm going to New Zealand in August <laughs> I'm moving to Auckland so catch me out there guys which makes it awkward for this podcast because Super does not know but I'm looking for a new podcast host <laughs> are you like I don't know am I <laughs> am I dizzy like I know <laughs> I'm joking I'm joking so, so what's your plan for New Zealand. Yeah, so I'm working in Obsangani, so I'm starting doing a three-month job in that because I'm trying to make my mind up and if I love it, then I'll carry on. If not, mm -hmm. I might rotate through other things. Okay, so you can choose your rotations as you go along? Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of, they're quite flexible and then... Um, what other um, options do you have in mind? I'm, I think we've spoken about this, but I'm thinking also about palliative care. So oh, okay. Maybe a palliative care job, but I'm doing a taste a week in a few um, a few weeks. So I'm sure I'll be telling you guys about You're that. You're doing anyways. a taste a week where? Um, at our hospital in London. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And I'm doing like three, four days on okay. palliative care. So I'm going to go to like hospice, do some clinics, do a ward round. Oh, you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I think if I, I don't know, we'll see. Like if I really like it, then I'll try and do a palliative care job out in Auckland. Mm -hmm. Um, so those two things are there. And cool. Yeah, I feel so. like it's something once you've done palliative care, you'll either know. Yeah. Or just be or like, you'll this be like, for no, me. This is, exactly. I think it's going to be one way or the other way. Yeah, and totally. irrespective, it's such a great thing to do and to learn. There's so many things you can learn from it. So. Yeah, it is. Like, I think that's one of the my biggest take homes from this year after working my elderly care job, which yeah. I'm on currently. I think yeah. I've learned so much about palliative care and end of life medicine. Yeah. Um, and how it's not actually very scary at all. It's just really important to have. And I wish we all had a bit more of an appreciation exactly. for it. Yeah, it's so important for us to all have an understanding of it because we all will come into contact with, in any field, like yeah. you will come into contact with that and it's good for you to have like an appreciation for how best... To manage families who are going through it for the first time. Exactly, and how to support people. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm looking forward to New Zealand. And what about you, Amelie? What's your plans <laughs> for next year? Come on, tell us. Uh, literally my mind is in like a hundred places at once so as per I've, usual so I've applied for absolutely everything yeah initially I was starting to apply for the New Zealand thing as well because I was yeah. like oh maybe we should just go together yeah it could be like life after the <laughs> Pacific Ocean I don't know I know I was going with that one <laughs> so yeah I've applied for a lot of things and so different jobs mm -hmm. mainly to make money so I want to locum next year so I want to make like a good amount of money so I'm trying to look at jobs that are paying like more than your London rates. So London rates are usually about, what, £35 an hour? 
Local rates, yeah, they're capped. Rates. Yeah. Um, and then outside of London, it's more so £50 an hour, which is like... I feel like the limit is endless outside of London. It kind of is. Yeah. So it's just to make money for you because I don't really see any other way of like affording a house in London yeah. um, or a mortgage in London. Without... And that's like a big priority for you at the moment, Yeah, I think it? so. Just because it's something that I've always wanted outside of uni. Yeah. But when I left uni, houses cost, what, about 200000 in London or a two-bed apartment could. And now there is no way that I can get a house for that much. It's so mad, yeah. I just know that I've got to, if, I, if that's still my priority, that I've got to like try and make money for the next year. Yeah. So that's a plan. Um, but I've also seen some jobs with like, you know, companies like KPMG where they want doctors oh. to come and do a taste a week and see how you find it. So I thought, let me just try things yeah. as young, as cute, just try everything. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know this. So yeah. what kind of, what's the KPMG thing? Literally, I have no idea. Like I read it and I've started my application for it. But essentially it's a weekend consultancy for doctors. Okay. Um, so it's for doctors who have tried entrepreneurial entrepreneurial things outside of medicine or during like their training med school and work yeah so I was like oh I think that's yeah that sounds like you yeah so there's lots of different things that I think I can contribute and it just I think it'll be nice to learn from a new environment yeah absolutely and pick up like a new skill set yeah exactly and then yeah we'll see where next year or two years takes me and then maybe pediatrics one day one day in the distance one day in the future (laughs) so should we go and talk about what we came to talk about today? Yes, let's. So this all kind of, you know, we got talking about this after I was chatting to Amelie about a case that I saw in mm. A&E. I Pause. Had... A&E brings up the best cases, don't they? Genuinely. <laughs> yeah, because it brings such a variety of people into exactly. your field of vision, doesn't it? Exactly. And like people that, and, and experiences that you only have in A&E, because you wouldn't have that on, on a ward or whatever else. Yeah. And I love how we talk about our echo chambers, but it, by talking about the community of people that you naturally have around you, don't you? Yeah. So actually, I think the case that you're talking about isn't a natural community for you where you'll no. be hearing these cases because actually we're invited into the intimate lives of patients. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you want to go? Yeah. So um, I had a young, cute, popping little boy <laughs> come in to a um in a really bad state. So he was really stressed, really worried. And he was... Um, concerned that he may have contracted HIV. And um, before coming into A&E, actually, he had gone elsewhere trying to sort of seek um, advice and possibly seek post-exposure prophylaxis. Do you know where he went? Um, It was like a walk-in clinic or something along those lines. Um, And actually, the, the healthcare professional who had treated him there had actually informed him, and incorrectly so, that he wouldn't be able to access um, PEP. And for those of you guys who don't know what PEP is, I'm sure you're all on the, you do, but anyways, it's um, called, it's post-exposure prophylaxis. So it's, um, it actually encompasses the treatment of HIV, Hep B and Hep C. And it's, um, you know, sort of boosters or tablets or, you know, medication that you can give someone after they have possibly come into contact with blood-borne viruses, such as HIV, Hep B, Hep C. So um, she had mistakenly informed him that he could not, have anything anywhere he went um so he then used the magic of the interwebs to google things search up and then turned up uh, you know at our doorstep sort of with his his, with his concerns um and appropriately so because that's you know it's the right thing to do um and i was like really impressed at the fact that how much in that scenario like the patient advocated for himself, yeah. used the resources available to him to access his 
health needs, mm. you know? And um, that was, I thought that was, you know, great. Cause if that was 10 years ago or like 20 years ago, mm. you kind of would have turned up to whoever you turned up to. And if they had told you like, you can't have this, you would have like Do gone you know home. what options she gave him at the time? I think that the, you know, whoever risk assessed him basically turned around to him and said, irrespective, you just can't access PEP, which is incorrect. Which mm. is incorrect yeah. because even for healthcare professionals, like if we get needle sticks, you know, and, and that's out of hours, even mm. if you're in the community, you present yourself to A&E to have, yeah. to be risk assessed and mm -hmm. to have, you know, your PEP, like whatever you need. So now that you've said that, mm. that's just reminded me of my friend who was working as a doctor in A&E and she had a needle stick injury and she knew that it was from a patient who had HIV. Okay. And... She was out of hours at the time. And usually what would happen if you're working within normal hours, so Monday to Friday, nine to five, yeah. you would just go straight away to your occupational therapy department, yeah. have your blood tests done and then be treated as such. So the problem with this case was at that time, she went to go speak to a consultant. A consultant told her to come back in on Monday morning and oh. have her blood test then because of the occupational therapy. Um, occupational health. Sorry, occupational health could come and help. Yeah, yeah. here we're thinking of like <laughs> zimmer frames <laughs> and stair lifts. Yeah. No, so he told us come to occupational health on Monday morning. Yeah. And at that time she was like, okay, I'm sure I heard something back in med school about actually, no, you can, there's Good a 48 day. hour, there's a 48 hour window where mm. actually you can come and get your blood's taken because actually if you do contract HIV, then the best thing to do is start straight away on PEP and yeah. then that could prevent you from actually yeah. um, seroconverting into full-blown HIV. Yeah. I hate the yeah. fact that yeah. I just said full-blown by the way, sorry. But that's what, pe that's what people yeah. are thinking essentially and that's what I just wanted to... Yeah. And that's also... You sped that up real quick. <laughs> yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, but then she just quickly did a Google search yeah. and then she found out that actually, no, she has to get it sorted sooner rather than later. Precisely. So she got it sorted um, later that evening and... Thankfully, she didn't contract anything, but yeah. it was just important that she did it within a short frame time. And also that kind of um, doubles onto the fact that everyone's knowledge and information, it isn't infallible. Like mm -hmm. we make mistakes. We all have gaps in our knowledge. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of her save, for instance, being able to just quickly search it up and be like, oh, actually, no. Yeah. Is that she can protect and advocate for herself when someone else may not necessarily have the right tools to be able to do so. Yeah. And it's important to recognise that healthcare professionals don't know everything. So my story, I was talking to Amelie about it and I was just like, I just thought it was great. Um, and we were talking about how internet in patients' hands can be wonderful, but not it's not always a perfect um, thing either. So talking of how the internet has actually shaped healthcare for a huge cohort of people. I wanted to talk about, and we talked about PEP, but let's talk about PrEP. So PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis. Mm -hmm. um, and that actually is, whilst PEP is applies to sort of HIV, Hep B and Hep C, PrEP is a lot more specific to HIV. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I mean, there is a, an aspect of PrEP with things like Hep B, but that's sort of immunizations and things like that for Hep B and Hep C. But for PrEP, you know, you've got, your magic pill, Truvada. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure people have all heard of it, but just to quickly recap on it, it's um, a pill you can take, which for people that are high risk for exposure to HIV, and it reduces, it's, it's very effective at reducing your, your chances of seroconverting or of catching HIV. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and it's completely revolutionized like certain communities and particularly speaking about the gay community mm-hmm. where um, transparency about HIV infection is really important to the point yeah. where people will just play that on like their dating profiles mm-hmm. and even if they are say HIV positive people will also display if they're taking antiretrovirals yeah. how long they've been taking antiretrovirals for people are really transparent about their viral loads their CD4 counts mm-hmm. um, and even with PrEP people are very transparent about saying I'm taking PrEP and it's encouraged and actually it allows like in our latest episode we were talking about allowing women to have autonomy and control over their yeah. bodies and in a way, like something like having PrEP allows gay men to have... Um, or the same conversations and the same safety awareness as exactly, well. Exactly, because that's mm-hmm. what's important at the end of the day, isn't it? It is about yeah. allowing people to have safe practices. Mm-hmm. And um, if people can have access to something like Truvada, yeah. then they can have safer sexual practices and feel more confident and reassured when they're engaging in certain activities that they are protected. And what's interesting is that the internet brings that information straight towards your door yeah um, as opposed to you having to like live say in Soho and near Dean Street where you can access the clinic straight away so for those of us who aren't lucky to live near the locations which best serve us actually the internet brings that straight to you so that's amazing for patients in so many different communities and so many different areas it reduces that sort of disparity of like health provision Mm -hmm. and um the amazing thing is that there was this guy um who who contracted hiv and you know was saw and sort of grew up in that time where a lot of his friends and you know people he knew were suffering from hiv or even from aids and saw how when he learned about something like Truvada, um, he was shocked to find that it was difficult to access. You had to get onto certain studies to be able to have um, access to a pill like Truvada and to PrEP. And that a lot of that information wasn't widely circulated in sort of certain the communities that it needed to serve. Um, and he did an amazing thing and started setting up a website, which, you know, a people were able to access and see how they could get onto certain studies or certain trials in order to access the pill. Um, and actually it started off very sort of grassroots and he was the only one running it. And, you know, he was spending all his time and energy circulating that information. And it initially, it eventually got sort of um, supported and championed by public bodies that direct patients to that information source. And it's really blown up and actually mm. it's become a fantastic, fantastic resource for people. Um, and that's a great sign of how like, you know. Health outcomes can create actual tangible goals right yeah exactly yeah and i suppose when we look about look at the benefits of the internet we can't stay away from support networks for patients yeah so in various especially chronic diseases yeah and patients might be quite isolated in feeling as though they're the only ones with that disease and also they might not be able to let's say for reasons of like safety and health actually leave their homes to access other people with their conditions to talk about it yeah so like an example of that is um cystic fibrosis yeah. where obviously it affects like a really like a really young cohort of people as well yeah, and like, like all, life, all genetic diseases yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um particularly with cystic fibrosis because they pick mm. up such nasty like bugs that really get stuck in the lungs yeah um pseudomonas is like a big concern with um kids that have got cystic fibrosis and you imagine like your young teenagers like imagine you know you you, you want to be like living your best social life mm-hmm. and actually 
the people that understand your condition and understand the fact that you're having to pop, like pop crayon tablets before, you know, eating food. You're like, yeah. you know, your millennial brunch and your avocados or that you need on to, toast. Like, sit there and like cough and hack out your lungs and yeah. go through like really vigorous chest physio. Yeah, like you kind of want someone that understands that and gets that mm. and experiences that. Yeah. So um, of course you you want to have that you know that kind of friendship with people that are similar to you. Totally. And um, the difficulty is that with cystic with kids that have cystic fibrosis is that if some of them have contracted certain illnesses, you don't want them to be passing on those bugs to mm. other people, like to other other kids that have got cystic fibrosis because all their bugs become very drug resistant as well. So it's yeah. really difficult. Um, and to even be in the same rooms as yeah. each other all the time. But the internet was a great way, like things like YouTube, mm-hmm. it was a great way for these kids to be able to like talk about their experiences and develop friendships mm-hmm. with other kids that have got similar conditions and be able to watch their videos and see how, you know, they're living their lives and their experiences. And it was actually a great network, I think, for them. And it's like, if you go on YouTube, you can find like cystic fibrosis vloggers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I love that kind of stuff. I think it's so eye-opening. <laughs> I love it as well. You know, we were talking about- um, What, BuzzFeed India? <laughs> <laughs> no. Live for, live for BuzzFeed India. <laughs> But how important it is just to, you know, get an understanding and appreciation for what your patients are going through. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. And how these conditions affect their day-to-day yeah, lives. Yeah, and it's also important to know what the useful resources are to point your patients towards. Because essentially, you have the opportunity as a specialist to be serving a whole population of patients with the same disease. Now, actually, your interaction with them will be way more vast than their interaction is with each other. Yeah. So I think you're actually in the best place to be giving out such support networks. And actually, these specialists and nurses are the ones who really yeah. know exactly what they're doing. They do, yeah. And you know, Super knows that my dad is a sickle cell specialist, actually. Yeah. yeah. And weirdly, <laughs> Super met my dad before she met me. Yeah, I did. I did. And um, I love your dad and your dad loves me. <laughs> yeah, like, just true. FYI. We, we, I did a project with him, like a, a module with him on sickle cell disease. Um, As a medical student. Yeah, I did. And I remember when I met you mm-hmm. and you like mentioned in passing that your dad was a pediatrician. And it was so weird because I was did like... I? 
like in passing. And I was just kind of like, this weird thought flitted through my mind. I was like, I know a pediatrician in sickle cell disease. Yeah. A black man. And I didn't, and I was like, nah. And then I saw your name and we were like signing in doing one of the induction things. And I was like, <laughs> and I think that was the point at which I turned to Amelie. I was like, I know your dad. <laughs> and then you mentioned me to your dad and he was like, I know Suba. Yeah, and then my dad, it's so funny because my dad's like, oh, Suba, I love her personality. She's so, he didn't use this word, but like vivacious. And then he definitely didn't use that word. But he was like, he reminds me of Winnie, who's my little sister. And it's funny because... <laughs> Winnie's like really smart and really intelligent, but she like just doesn't try very hard. And then he was like, and that was super. <laughs> but he said that she was such a natural with like patients and just her interactions were very impressive as a doctor, basically. Yeah, so he cute. really like he really likes you. Um, no, that was funny. That was so yeah, funny. That's so cute. But no, but how important it is for us to be able to direct our patients towards these support networks Thank and these you. communities. Because I mean, as much as you said that we have a more of an interaction with our patients sometimes, mm. the manner of our interaction is very different to an interaction that a patient would have with like a fellow, mm -hmm. like a fellow patient who's also going through a similar thing to yeah. them. Yeah, of course. Those are like the friendships that you naturally build up, isn't it? Because yeah. you have something in common. And what's actually interesting when I was in sixth form I believe actually no before GCSE when I was about 14 or 15 mm. I went to a camp in America um with some of my dad's colleagues who work in the states and I was a camp counselor and that was like so fun because I was like mm. obsessed by everything American now I'm obsessed was by this camp America no no no, no. Uh, I was obsessed by everything American at the time and now I'm obsessed by everything Japanese <laughs> but um at the time it was I can't remember the name of the charity now Sorry, but anyway, um, so I was a camp counsellor and it was a camp for children with sickle cell disease. Yeah. And they would look forward to this camp every year and yeah. absolutely loved it. Yeah. And the amazing opportunity was that everything there was served towards these children. Yeah. And so, for example, kids with sickle cell disease, if they are exposed to very cold conditions, then that, that can bring up a crisis. So yeah. whenever they went swimming the swimming pool was like heated up. They would have to like warm up before they went into the water. Yeah. Um, and then they were made sure that they were warmed up as soon as they came out of the water. So things that wouldn't even apply for regular children without conditions. Yeah. And um, they were well served in that community. Yeah, yeah, now yeah. the other amazing thing was that resources were brought to them and also information was brought to them. So whether it was boys who were suffering with like priapism Mm. basically painful erections mm. um, or whether it was girls who were finding it very difficult with their periods yeah. um, and the bleeding and the yeah. um, the pain that they had around their period of time or just for people who had questions about what their future would look like am I going to die at age 40 yeah. um, am I going to be able to have a baby yeah. and it's really crazy to like sit in on those conversations as a 15 year old yeah. and think oh my gosh these 8 year olds or 12 year olds are having wow. these conversations about things I've never even considered for myself yeah so yes that was useful for, for me but the amazing thing was that this was super useful for them and they were the lucky people who had access to these camps yeah. and to be able to physically travel to this place mm -hmm. and um, be able to come there and live in a live in a country that had that opportunity mm -hmm. which not that's not the reality does. for most people with sickle cell disease for example no. and that wouldn't be the reality for a lot of our kids in the UK who just don't have access to these camps here not at all but the importance is that they do have places like the internet where mm -hmm. you know they can find communities or they can find social networks that allow them to have these conversations with other people yeah and seek like trust trustworthy and reliable information sources and I suppose the internet has also been very important for us as clinicians hasn't it 
Um, you will always meet people who know way more about the condition that they've always had their entire life and how it affects them. And you sitting behind them on the other side of the table actually may never have heard of the condition before, mm. which happens more often than you re- realize. Mm. Or you might just not have enough information that they're seeking. Yeah. And, um, you know, the joy is like when you're sitting by a computer, like, in ambulatory care, imagine you have this in day hospital <laughs> where as they're telling you, you're just like, Google, like, let me quickly just, oh yeah, that thing, right, okay. Yeah. I'm with you now, I'm on your wavelength. Just just asking them questions to like delay the time yeah. in which they ask you questions. Yeah, so you're yeah. like, oh, yeah. thank God. So what's my the t- weather like out there? Oh, the bus was running on time, that's great. And it's funny, it's like in day hospital or in GP practice, the computer tends to be in front of you and the patient tends to be on the other side, which is yeah. so ideal because you can like quickly type away, yeah. figure out some information and be like oh hey let me just go print you out this leaflet then I'll come back and talk to you about the condition yeah. and then whilst you're out there you pick up that leaflet quickly you read, read it, it real quick yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also that's great actually the whole being able to like quickly print someone a leaflet and also particularly where we work be able to print someone a leaflet in their own language yeah. like that's a beautiful thing mm-hmm. and to yeah. be able to bring it back and you can tell someone something but they're like you know before that sinks in like they can go home and then sit and read it on the train or try and like process that information yeah. or access information later when they get home and they've had time to process a diagnosis or mm-hmm. think about their options. And I suppose that is also very closely linked to the use of like the mobile phones or apps and devices. Mm. And with languages in particular, yeah. actually it's been very helpful to be able to have a translation app on your phone right. um, and discuss with things with patients, simple things, if you don't yeah. have access to an interpreter straight away, yeah. or you need to bring your device, like your mobile phone to their bedside because they're too unwell to come to the main phone to use our hospital yeah. translation service. It's been super duper helpful to have the internet access on your phone to use that. Yeah. And that's actually interesting because I went to a Google event. I go to so many random events, but I went to a Google event earlier this earlier last year. Yeah. And they had their pods. And it was the dopest thing I've ever seen. And I was like, this could re- revolutionize like the oh, NHS. Wait, explain what that is. So basically they've got this translation earbud thing. Is this a real thing? I thought it was some sort of like, nah, I, I mate, saw it on Facebook and I was mate, like, is this real? I saw it in real life. I was like, okay, tell you me. have just done blown my mind. So there was this girl, they had hired like, I presume like actors or um, just people who knew like lots Different of languages. languages. And they're very like, they were very Google. They were all like really... <laughs> like really engaging and stuff it was really cool and this girl she we had this conversation she was speaking in Japanese then she slipped flipped to German and then she flipped to like Spanish so she just knew a whole host of languages that's a pretty nice collection of languages I wouldn't mind knowing those but basically she was able to speak directly the information processed around the earbuds in some way that I don't even understand and then her phone would speak to me in English and it would also show me her translation that was going on in her language and then my translation, then English in front of that as well. So I could see everything that was happening, processing on the phone while she was talking to me through the earbuds. And the beautiful thing about that was that it allowed us to have a direct conversation with each other, just speaking rather than like holding the phone, typing, waiting for the translation to happen, seeing if it's correct because they've just got some amazing technology. So that's amazing. Mate, it was amazing. I was thinking if I had this in the hospital we work in, I would just be speaking to everyone very easily. Yeah. Your communication and your like 
ability to build all the important things in mm. your like doctor patient relationship your trust your like yeah your empathy all those things you'd be able to have because you're you're talking with your voice and it's just safe to have like proper information coming through in a language that they understand because yeah now I'm sure you've worked in pediatric a mm. and sometimes if you have patients who don't speak English where their child is the one who speaks most English in the family and translates yeah. for them when the child is now ill and the parents are the ones who you're trying to gather some more information from because yes you can get information from kids but you can't get a whole appreciation no. of what went on at what time no. if you ask kids that you'll just be like on a completely different yeah. plane yeah and um, or different train of thought yeah so you having access to information technology or internet just like that would be so useful in those cases yeah for mm-hmm. sure but even with other apps so things that patients can use um have you advised any apps for patients or so i have i don't think i've actually ever told patients about specific apps mm. before um though i feel like there's sometimes when i've met girls that are like have no idea when their periods are and i'm like you know, you can get like period tracker apps and I'm like, yeah. they're really good because then, you know, you know exactly what your cycle's like. Blah, blah, blah. Whenever people are like, I don't know, it's all over yeah, the place. You track your symptoms. You like track it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a great idea. But I never like said anyone and a specific one by name. Yeah. Um, well, I've um, heard about Headspace and I feel like we're doing an ad for them because we're on a podcast <laughs> and like everyone has ads on their podcast shows. But no, Headspace is a really useful app and it's kind of taken the world by storm in the past year. Yeah. Essentially, it's an app for mindfulness um, and it's just been so useful for, I think, our generation, particularly because we're we're understanding the links between mental health and physical health a lot more. And actually, a lot of the symptoms that play out in the hospital tend to be symptoms that play out at home just Mm. because of the normal stressful lives that we live day to day. Mm. So I think apps which might allow you to take time out for yourself, sit down, think and be more clear in the way that you're going ahead with certain tasks yeah will be helpful and reduce anxiety or reduce like palpitations it will improve your pain response just things that are that we kind of take for granted but are really really important in healthcare today and i do know that i went to a psychiatry conference once um where the there was a, a girl who presented her sort of project that she'd done where she had used headspace to guide okay. patients along a mindfulness-based therapy. Dope. And it was sort of like 15 was she minutes. A doctor? She, was she yeah, she was like a she was like an F2 doctor at that point mm-hmm. in um her psych rotation or mm-hmm. something like that. And she'd sort of had a little session, 15 minutes a day. Patients would come in, they'd do a little questionnaire before, do 15 mi- minutes of guided meditation through headspace, mm-hmm. and then at the end fill out a you know questionnaire Dope. on and it showed tangible you know, change in of their course. you know anxiety levels, their mood levels, their sense of peace and calm. So maybe we should start recommending yeah. it to our patients I was like, maybe i should do that today because i'm going to locate at my um, psych yeah. hospital today yeah <laughs> that's funny so that's a you know a great resource in the hands of patients because not everyone can afford to go to like um find a therapist or find a, mind, no, a meditation so guide. yeah and it's not easy to go outside of your house when you're not feeling so great yeah and um, to go and find a psychologist that you can speak to or even access it or afford it exactly so now dum, dum, dum. the tone changes. <laughs> <laughs> so now talking about maybe the not so great sides of mm-hmm. having the internet in patients' hands. And I think we have to speak about Dr. Google, right? Yeah. Like, like Dr. Google, everyone God bless you. you've been helpful for me. And <laughs> for those of us with not so like sharp memories or yeah. who need access to information, 
you have been so helpful. You've been there. You've been there. But Dr. Google, <laughs> what are you doing sometimes? Why are you snaking me, Dr. Google? <laughs> like, let's be real right now. But And it's funny, Dr. Google snakes us in so many ways. It's <laughs> in funny. so many ways. Sometimes it gives like patients like so much information that they might not know what to do with. Not even trying to be patronizing, but no. just so much random, unreliable like it's overwhelming overwhelming information. i mean literally if you google any of your like three like if i were to tell you three feelings i'm feeling right now and i googled it google will definitely tell me i have some type of cancer yeah 100 percent, it will tell me i've got some type of weird like toenail cancer or something exactly Do you know what i mean yeah and like you could google your personality and it'll be like oh my gosh i've got a personality disorder i'm a sociopath <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i feel like i could go through some celebrities and be like yeah 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 but let me not do that today yeah. Oh gosh. Um, but it's interesting because actually the the access to information sometimes isn't given with the access to knowing how to delve into like research or delve into the information that's there. Or how to cr critically appraise that information and to be able to be like, well, actually, um, it's sort of like the classic syndrome of, um, you know, throughout medical school, mm -hmm. there's studies that have shown that each year that goes by, you become more and more paranoid that you have every condition you learn about until you reach a point at which you have enough knowledge to now be able to say, actually i'm fine yeah like fourth year is that year where you think that you're literally dying and you have <laughs> everything that you study and then finally in final year you're like it's cool it's cool I just, it's cool i'm well i don't, I don't have myelomas yes yeah, yeah yeah i'm good i'm good <laughs> myeloma <laughs> yeah so that's interesting and it actually ties into public campaigns i suppose and also the responsibility of those who are advertising or marketing to give the information across in the right way so I'm not sure if you remember, but um, in London last year, mm. probably across the UK, but London, because I know it, and the Cancer Research um, put out a public campaign. Mm. So it was these massive posters and you'd see a picture of a large body and underneath it, it would be like, after smoking, the biggest risk, risk of, the biggest cause of cancer is obesity. So I understand where they were coming from because with obesity, you're also thinking of poor cardiovascular fitness and you're also thinking about um, the diets that people are eating. Yeah. But what they didn't seem to get was the fact that the image that they have just now popped on all of the like newspapers or on like your tube posters was of a big body without any context or yeah. any information to say, actually, you need to be careful of what you're eating. You need to be careful of how much you're smoking. You need to think about your family risk factors. Yeah. All they provided was almost an absolute risk of saying, if, if you have, if you're fat or if you're obese, therefore you will get cancer. Yeah, it was a very sort of one tone image of like, this equals this. Yeah. Without any context behind it, like you said, or understanding of like, what specific risks contribute to, you know, cancer yeah, rather than just saying... People can gain weight for so many different reasons. And yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there are there are more things that they're thinking about and more things that they're dealing with yeah. than just the weight gain. It's, yeah. not, it's not cancer in most of the cases, actually. And actually, by also taking it, putting it as an image, it's promoting a certain sort of like sort of mental mentality whereas what they're trying to say is that certain lifestyle mm -hmm. modifications equal sort of you know a path to health and a yeah. path to avoiding sort of the risks like or things that are you know promote risks like cancer mm -hmm. but what it sort of seems to say is like this certain body type equals this 
And if you were to look another way, maybe that wouldn't equal that. Yeah. And I suppose we also have to look at the communities that we're always discriminating anyway, society. Yeah. And the thing is, if we're trying to put, if we're putting images like that out, we're also perpetuating fat shaming and we're also yeah. perpetuating a negative look at um, how they live their life. And they're really st- struggling because the society we live in isn't helpful yeah. to people who are overweight or yeah. have an increased body mass. It's already a body type that's marginalized. And then to turn around and say, by, By the, the way, way you, you got, got cancer. cancer. <laughs> Can you imagine some kid in school it's awful. like, you got cancer and you're like, what? This new bullying strategy. Exactly. Like, <laughs> thanks, cancer research. No. But the, the, the message they were trying yeah. to send was actually to lead a healthy lifestyle in X, Y, and Z ways, whether it's diet, exercise, yeah. you know, certain modifications, like stop smoking, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But and, they kind of came across it in a weird di- way. Exactly. And it's difficult because actually sometimes we don't appreciate what goes on in the real world um, with the information that we can access. So, for example, you know, with HIV, just because you started with it, if you look back at the public health campaigns that were put out mm. in the UK years ago, mm. um, I'm not sure if you ever saw the adverts. It was like this really doom and gloom mm. um, advert. No, and I it was don't. like, people are getting AIDS in the UK. Um, and at the time... Gay men were very scared about the type of advertising and imagery and the taboo that was put out because of that. The fear mongering of HIV though, when actually Mm -hmm. it's a really, you know, these days it's a treatable condition, it's a preventable condition. And the fear mongering behind it, people are terrified of getting HIV. And you know how even when we think about needle sticks, you're like, oh my God, am I going to get HIV? You're so much more likely to get hep B. Yeah. Like, like HIV is the least like four, of your concerns. It's like four hundred times more likely to get hep literally. B, but everyone's like freaking out because of HIV, something that's treatable. Well, people aren't even that afraid of hep B. Hep B is a nasty. Yeah, if you had like, <laughs> actually, let me not say that. Yeah, that's if I had my pick. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. Don't pick anything. Um, but also with the internet, this blows my mind. How many people can buy medications? You can straight up get online and buy benzos. <laughs> yeah. Can you believe that? I'm laughing, but it's not funny. Actually, no, and it's all. dangerous. It's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. People are getting hooked on these tablets because they can just get them. It's a controlled drug. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a classy controlled drug, which basically means that you have to have a prescription. Yeah. And also... Um, because it's, it's addictive. Mm-hmm. And not only is it addictive, but you can't just stop taking it. If you just, if you've been taking benzos mm-hmm. and you just stop taking it, your body becomes reliant on it. You will just start having seizures. Like you can't just yeah. stop it. Like it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. But that information isn't put out there by those who are trying to sell it on the internet. No, and the people that are taking it, like, I mean, I'm hoping that people are self-educating about mm-hmm. it, but that's not, it's not a prerequisite. Yeah. And whilst I think there is a big group of people who are self-educated and understand what the risks and the benefits of these medications are, actually, we also need to regulate these markets efficiently and effectively um, because actually the the problem or I'd say the pitfall with the internet is that things are moving so fast yeah. and the information age is moving so fast and also retail and money is a big um, motivator yeah actually if their priority is making money they they probably just don't really care very shout much out, about that capitalism <laughs> they probably just don't care very much on how it's affecting people individually no, you or how many of, lives are being lost or affected. Yeah. I feel like in my mind, it's drawn as one of those like newspaper, like, you know, those cartoons of like some fat cat <laughs> with like lots of dollars and people yeah. like 
people behind the door like just dying yeah like dying people with their hands like seeking the diazepam (laughs) but with no consideration of the dangers and how that affects them yeah um but also how that affects your relationship with your patient what do you mean so your doctor patient relationship um the paternalistic relationship has really changed you know now it's a you're in a much more equal fitting which is a great thing you have uh, patients taking much more patient autonomy is a huge thing patients taking much more interest Mm -hmm. in their health decisions and it being a collaborative effort Mm -hmm. rather than you're turning up to your doctor for your doctor to tell you what to do and how to do it Mm -hmm. um but is that starting to shift more the other way almost if patients are coming to you saying and telling you what they want you to do for them Mm -hmm. i suppose it's changed for a whole generation because actually if you look at our elderly patients they're yeah. a lot more deferent to us than our younger patients are. Yeah, which and makes that has its be- and it has its benefits and it has its negatives. Yeah, but also I suppose one thing is that we have to change the way in which we relate to patients now because we are different and we're in a different time. So therefore, it's our responsibility and opportunity to be different clinicians. Yeah, I suppose with all the information that's out there, our one of our job roles should be to lessen the anxiety for people on that whole host of information that's just been like shoved in their faces. The ocean of like overwhelming knowledge. You can like sit in a GP practice, pick up a leaflet and it's gonna tell you to have a cervical smear or a bowel cancer screen. Um, And that can really make people more anxious about their health um, or what symptoms that they might be having. Yeah. Because we have to really protect our vulnerable population as well, don't we? Yeah. And it's about you still kind of holding that like so-called expert status Mm -hmm. and being able to like, like you said, manage patients' anxieties. And that still remains probably the biggest tool in your arsenal as a doctor. Totally. And before we finish, just to bring it back to the story that you first gave. Mm. So you said that initially that um, the patient that you met came into contact with a clinician who said that, no, you can't get PEP. Out of hours. Just full stop. Yeah. Now, if what they meant is that you can't get PEP here or that you can't get PEP today, their responsibility there was to act tell the patient how they could access PEP. That's what they should have done. Yeah, elsewhere. Exactly. So I think the responsibility in our case should be to inform people more wholly about what they can, or more holistically about what they can access rather than just saying, no, you can't do it and not giving the full information behind that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So empowering your patients Mm -hmm. and giving them the knowledge that they need to achieve their health outcomes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, full stop. Yeah, that so good. Yeah, I would say I, I think the internet is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Internet, the age of the internet in medicine and in patients' hands is a fantastic thing. It is, it is. So, Suba, we got to go. Yeah, we got things to do. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll probably be using the internet in a myriad of ways yeah. today. Yeah. Instagram, Facebook. <laughs> Not health related issues. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll use Headspace, who knows? Yeah, you should, it's great. <laughs> so thank you very much for listening, guys. Thanks for listening as always, guys. And Do you want to end, Suba? You know what to tell them? Yeah, so like, share, subscribe, comment, double tap. You know how we do. Um, and we'll catch you in our next episode. All right, take care, guys. Take care, guys. Bye. Today's episode was recorded at Mare Street Market. Catch us over on www.afterthelettuscom or forward slash after the letters on every social media network. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.